Tired of the ads? Join our Patreon. Patrons get episodes ad-free. You can join now by clicking the link in the bio or by going to patreon.com slash Pod. See you there. Welcome back to another episode of The Murder Diaries. I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. On September 24th, 1998, 19-year-old college student Amber Wilde went missing under suspicious circumstances. At the time of her disappearance, Amber was pregnant. Reports vary, but she was somewhere between four and six months pregnant. The father was an engaged man. The alleged father, Matthew, wanted nothing to do with the baby or Amber. He made that clear, and he begged Amber to terminate the pregnancy, which she refused. Now assumed to be deceased, her and her unborn baby's bodies have never been found. Although authorities say they're close to solving the case, it remains unsolved today. This is her story. You still think it's in my head, but I'm walking with the dead. Amber Lynn Wilde was born March 26, 1979, in Campbellsport, Wisconsin, to her parents, Steve and Julie. Steve raised Amber and her little sister as a single father throughout their childhoods. Amber was a very bright, inquisitive child. It's been said that she was destined for greatness. In an April 2017 interview with True Crime Daily, Steve described Amber as a very, very conscientious little girl. He said, And I would tell people, you could have had half an hour to talk to her. She'd changed the way you looked at life. She was mature, contemplative, and wise beyond her years. Steve goes on to say, she would ask me if I paid the rent. It was like having a 13-year-old mother in the home. She always planned everything to a T, and she always found herself able to accomplish whatever she put her mind to. From an early age, Amber kept journals chronicling her life's big events, daily activities, accomplishments, frustrations, and her most private secrets. This outlet of Amber's proved to be a huge asset to the detectives who would later take on her missing persons case. On top of all of that, Amber was an ambitious student. She was bright, inquisitive, and hardworking. She excelled in the classroom. She had big dreams for her life and diligently worked towards making them a reality. According to her Aunt Lori, her plans were to be a doctor and work with kids. Amber graduated from Campbellsport High School in 1997. While still in high school, she had taken some University of Wisconsin courses to get a head start on college credits. She received a full scholarship to a local community college and began her pre-med coursework there in the fall of 1997. Although an associate's degree typically takes two years to complete, Amber received hers in one. After finishing her associate's degree, she transferred to the University of Wisconsin at Green Bay. She moved into an apartment close to campus, which she had only lived in for three weeks when she disappeared. On Wednesday, September 23rd, 1998, Amber made her last journal entry. This is hours before she got into a minor car crash on her way to work. Unfortunately, she had rear-ended another vehicle and struck her head hard enough on her windshield to give herself a possible concussion. She and the driver of the other vehicle exchanged information at the scene and agreed to talk later on that day for details of getting claims submitted to their insurance companies. Amber called her dad shortly after the accident and Steve advised her to go to the health office on campus to get it checked out. Amber obliged and during her visit to the health office, she was told that she was more than likely concussed. 
Thus, she was given instructions to make sure people checked up on her, whether it was in person or over the phone. Stephen Amber talked multiple times throughout the remainder of the day. She told him that she had a blinding headache. During their final conversation at 7.16 p.m. that evening, she asked her father to call her in the morning to make sure that she was awake for class. Later in the evening, she received a mysterious call and left her apartment. There are different theories about who this call was from. One source says that it was from the person that she had rear-ended earlier in the day. Another theory is that it was Matthew, who, as you remember, is the alleged father of Amber's unborn baby. When Steve called Amber the following day, Thursday, September 24th, 1998, Amber didn't answer. He tried her multiple times, and when she didn't pick up, after 12 hours since their last conversation, he knew something wasn't right. Extremely worried and thinking through every possible scenario, he headed out on the one-and-a-half-hour trip from his house in Mayville to Green Bay over to Amber's apartment. He had a copy of the key which Amber had given to him. Hesitant and fearful, he unlocked the front door, only to breathe a huge sigh of relief when everything looked to be in its place and undisturbed. Quote, there was nothing going on in that apartment. Nothing really jumped out and might have pointed me in a direction where she was. When Steve noticed that his daughter's car, a dark gray four-door 1998 Subaru GL, was missing, he immediately called the Green Bay police. He explained that his pregnant daughter was missing, which was totally out of character for her because she was super responsible and would never just take off. He went on to tell them that she was a college student and would never have missed class. On top of that, she had a really important optometrist appointment that she wouldn't just blow off either. He explained that he expected that this was foul play. According to Channel 2 reporter Sarah Thompson in her first alert series titled, What Happened to Amber? The police told Steve to wait it out 48 hours before filing a missing persons report. At the time of her disappearance, Amber stood 5 feet 2 inches and weighed around 145 pounds. She is Caucasian with brown straight hair that was just past her shoulders and her eyes are brown. She wore eight small hoop earrings in each of her ears and she was between four and six months pregnant. The alleged father of her baby was a man named Matthew. At the time, he was 21 years old, a burly 6'5 blue-eyed man. He was employed as a surveyor for a company that was contracted by the Wisconsin Department of Transportation. At the time, he and his crew were working on upgrading State Highway 29. Specifically, they were working on a 90-mile stretch between Green Bay and Wausau. In journal entries dated May 20th and May 21st, 1998, Amber had written she and Matthew had met at a house party where they hit it off. One thing led to another, and they ended up hooking up unprotected. The two were then, quote, hot and heavy for the next four months. There was only one small problem. At the time that they met, Matthew was engaged to be married to his high school sweetheart. After Amber found out that she was expecting and shared the news with Matthew that she was pregnant with his child, he denied it was his and demanded that she terminate the pregnancy. She refused. She wanted to keep the baby, and according to The Charlie Project and True Crime Daily, her family was super supportive and rallied around her, promising to care for her and the child while she continued to pursue her dream of becoming a pediatrician. Amber told her Aunt Lori and godmother that Matthew was in denial about being their baby's father and had become cold towards her. He didn't want Heidi to find out that he'd been cheating on her for the past few months. A baby would seemingly expose this safely guarded secret. In a journal entry dated August 23, 1998, 
Amber wrote that she had asked Matthew to tell Heidi about the pregnancy, but he refused. So Amber, being the determined woman she was, reached out to Heidi and told her herself. Matthew's parents found out soon after. This enraged Matthew, and he told everyone that she was a liar. Matthew was also emotionally abusive towards Amber. She mentioned to her Aunt Lori that he was mean, and although he never physically hurt her, he was, quote, always cutting her down, telling her she was fat, ugly, whatever. For the two weeks leading up to Amber's disappearance, phone records show that Matthew had tried contacting Amber multiple times, asking her to terminate the pregnancy, which she continued to refuse to do. In an interview on Crime Watch Daily, Detective David Graff summarized Amber's journal entry about her last conversation with Matthew as this. Matthew was basically giving her ultimatums, threatening to either harm himself or that she'd never see the kid again. In Channel NBC26's series, Somebody Knows Something, journalist Nina Soprano reports that all of Amber's journal entries have been corroborated by phone call records, interviews, and statements. According to Crime Watch Daily, several days after she disappeared on October 1st, 1998, Amber's car was discovered across the street from Lambeau Field, where the Green Bay Packers play. It was unlocked and abandoned in the parking lot of what was the 50-yard line sports bar and Roadstar Inn with keys left in the ignition. The driver's seat was pushed back all the way, which makes it seem that someone besides 5'2 Amber had driven it there. Amber's purse was in the trunk, her cell phone was on the front seat, still plugged in the cigarette lighter adapter to charge. No witnesses came forward claiming to have seen the person who left the car parked there. Another thing that was worrying Steve about the state that Amber's car was found in was that just two days before she disappeared, Amber had her car serviced. The technicians had written down the odometer reading. At the time that it was found, the odometer registered an additional 900 unexplainable miles since it had been serviced. And now a word from today's sponsor. This podcast is sponsored by HelloFresh. HelloFresh is farm-fresh pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. HelloFresh makes home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. I recently jumped on a health journey and I've lost about eight pounds. When we started working with HelloFresh, it actually really supported this health journey because with HelloFresh, I got to skip the delivery and the food was fresh and tasty. It helped me not have to worry about meal planning and all the ingredients that I needed for any of the recipes were all there, delivered straight to my door. Not only is HelloFresh convenient, but it's also accessible. Like Paige mentioned a couple of weeks ago, I had foot surgery, so I can't get around as much as I'm used to. One of the cool new perks about HelloFresh is that it's easier than ever to skip that extra grocery store run by adding snacks, sides, and more to your weekly order. You just shop HelloFresh Market and take your pick from a curated selection of over 100 items. And let me tell you, it's a lifesaver. I'm super picky when it comes to meat. And I'm telling you, HelloFresh's chicken is some of the best chicken you will ever eat. They also have plenty of options that don't use meat at all. I've had a lot of their different bowls that use garbanzo beans as the protein. And I'm telling you, every single one of them was stellar. I also really enjoy saving the recipe cards for my favorite HelloFresh recipes. That way I can remember which ones I loved and make them again. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Diaries50 and use the code Diaries50 for 50% off plus free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Diaries50 and use code Diaries50 for 50% off plus free shipping. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit.
police went to speak to Matthew. He was working in the area of Shawanau on Highway 29. All Matthew would say to them is he barely knew her. They met at a restaurant and talked maybe twice. When the police informed them that Amber was missing, he showed no concern whatsoever. He just wanted police to believe that he had never hooked up with her. According to an article published in the Green Bay Press-Gazette dated August 26, 2016, during that same meeting with Matthew, they also met his coworker and good friend, Nick. Nick informed the police that his girlfriend had possibly seen Amber driving around in her Subaru in Wausau. Again, Wausau is 95 miles from Green Bay, so this is pretty far away for Amber to be seen driving that day. Nick provided them with a detailed description of her car, which at that point, police hadn't released to the public. When questioned herself, Nick's girlfriend said that Nick had come home around 6 p.m. alone the night of September 23, 1998. During his police interview about that evening, Nick stated that Matthew had told him that he'd gone to a movie and dinner alone after work. When police checked Matthew's phone records, they saw approximately 60 phone calls between himself and Amber from the time that they met in May until September when she went missing. After she went missing, the calls completely stopped. Clearly, to no one's surprise, Matthew had blatantly lied to them about not knowing Amber. In addition to the lies he told the police when they questioned him, he had no alibi for the evening of September 23rd, 1998 which was the day prior to Steve discovering his daughter was missing. In short order, by October 1998, Matthew had lawyered up. To this day, it's said that he's still uncooperative with law enforcement's efforts to find Amber's remains and bring her family some resolution. Police also spoke with Heidi, Matthew's then fiance and now wife. She told them Amber had an almost fatal attraction to Matthew. In December 1999, during a John Doe hearing, which is, according to the Hurley Burrish Law Offices out of Wisconsin, a legal proceeding which is intended as an independent investigatory tool to ascertain whether a crime has been committed and, if so, by whom. Heidi testified that she couldn't remember what her fiancé had told her that he'd been doing on the night in question, September 23rd, 1998. When asked about how close Nick and Matthew were outside of their job, she replied that she and Matthew were getting married January 1st, 2000, and Nick was going to be an usher in their wedding. The pair did go on to, in fact, marry on that date. According to that same article from the Green Bay Press-Gazette from August 26, 2016, during the John Doe hearing, Nick and his then fiance both testified with different stories than those that they told in their initial interviews. Nick's girlfriend said that Nick wasn't home during the evening of September 23rd, and she remembered calling him multiple times to see where he was. Nick then testified that, quote, he was most likely not home that night, but couldn't remember where he'd been or what he'd been doing that evening. Less than one month after Amber's disappearance on October 20th, 1998, police spoke to a friend of Matthew's. Her name is redacted from all of the records. Regardless, this friend informed them that on or around May 29th, 1998, she and Matthew were driving around town talking about a recent breakup she'd gone through. During the conversation, Matthew said that he was trashed the night that he met Amber and had hooked up with her. He said that they'd met at a party and afterwards he felt guilty because he was engaged to Heidi. Matthew went on to say that he wouldn't tell Heidi because he was afraid she would break off their engagement and leave him. With all of the information police had gathered during their interviews, they formed a theory about what happened to Amber. One of these theories heavily relied on Amber's own words from her journal to substantiate. 
Matthew was afraid that his fiance would find out about the affair and Amber's pregnancy resulting from his indiscretions stepping outside the relationship, so he panicked. He lured Amber from her apartment the evening of September 23rd, 1998, under the guise of talking through things or figuring things out between them, killed her and disposed of her body, more than likely in the construction zone along Highway 29. Police do not believe Matthew acted alone, however, and that at least one other person, more than likely possibly Nick, helped him carry out the murder and dispose of Amber's body. It's important to note here again that this is the police's possible theory and everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Police searched both above ground and through digs numerous times for Amber's remains, each one unsuccessful. In the beginning of their search efforts, police focused on the Green Bay area. By January of 1999, they were searching outside Green Bay in the Washington County area. In October of 1998, shortly after Amber went missing, her family hired a tracking dog and handler to search Amber's neighborhood and around the area where her car had been found. That search also was unsuccessful. Next, Amber's family turned to a renowned psychic, Sylvia Brown. She gave them information which led to a police search in year 2000 in areas in central Shawanau County near the Wolf River. Once again, those search efforts proved fruitless. Also in year 2000, according to a November 2014 article in the Green Bay Press-Gazette, police searched approximately 30 acres around rural Portage County property, which is said to be owned by a relative of a person who Amber knew. In the spring of 2001, police searched an eight-acre Shawanau County field just east of Wittenberg, located right off of, you guessed it, Highway 29. It had been filled with clay and topsoil at the time Amber disappeared. The police returned to the same field in December 2007, but once again came up empty-handed. One major theory is that Matthew buried Amber's body under Highway 29 during construction. However, without Amber's remains or any solid evidence against Matthew Schneider, her case went dormant through early 2013. New detectives were assigned to Amber's now cold case in January of 2013. This new set of detectives started from the very beginning, re-interviewing everyone involved or perceived to be involved, combing her case file with a fresh set of eyes in case anything had potentially been missed. Fingerprints and DNA obtained from Amber's abandoned car and apartment were resubmitted for testing. According to WBAY News, the FBI was also at the time conducting DNA tests that only they were able to do. In May of 2013, the new team re-interviewed Nick. He stated that he had little continued contact with Matthew since Matthew and Heidi's January 2000 wedding. He said that they'd only spoken twice, the last time being a couple of months ago. On July 25th, 2014, Nick told police he wasn't close to Matthew at the time of Amber's disappearance. They'd only worked together for a few months by that point. He went on to say that he and Matthew weren't close at the time of Amber's disappearance and definitely not close enough for him to have been willing to risk everything to help Matt with anything concerning Amber Wilde and her disappearance. As of 2016, Nick stopped cooperating with police and has refused to take a polygraph. In November 2014, police researched the 30 acres of rural Portage County again. They had an underwater camera this time to explore the pond of the acreage and also took out a trained cadaver dog. Heartbreakingly, this search effort produced nothing. On April 14, 2015, in a jailhouse interview, Heidi, Matt's wife, told police that Matthew and Nick had known each other well before they worked together in the roadside construction and that the two continued speaking after 1998 and on. 
If you're wondering why this is a jailhouse interview, Heidi was in jail at the time for two charges, resisting or obstructing an officer and carrying a concealed weapon. While she was detained, police listened in on her phone calls with her husband, Matthew. They discussed how the police interviewed her and what she had said to them and how Matt and Nick were still in touch. Police now believed Matthew and Nick were, quote, still in collusion with each other in reference to having knowledge of the crime. Police sought to obtain both Matthew and Nick's phone records to confirm they were still in contact. If they were found to still be talking, they would have both been lying to the police. According to that 2016 article from the Green Bay Press-Gazette, in 2015, police filed a subpoena for the phone records from January 1st, 2014, on through the date of the subpoena. In 2016, the subpoena was made public. The subpoena stated that detectives believed the phone records they obtained would constitute evidence of first-degree murder. However, what the police uncovered in the records themselves has not been released to the public. In the subpoena itself, Matthew was in essence referred to as the suspect in Amber's disappearance and presumed homicide. This is the first time police had publicly named Matthew as their suspect. Prior to this, police had stated they thought Amber was a victim of foul play and said that they did have a person of interest, but they never really named who that person was. Once the police finally revealed his name, they said that he'd been their primary suspect from the beginning of the years-long investigation. In 2017, the FBI's Behavioral Analyst Unit reviewed Amber's case. Green Bay Police called and reviewed the insights very helpful. In 2020, NBC26 News spoke with Heidi. Heidi stated, I'm not a dumb woman. I wouldn't stay with someone if I thought he did it. She went on to say that Matt has been unfairly targeted by police and she hopes Amber's family finds resolution. In part two of the On Assignment series, What Happened to Amber by Target 2, journalist Sarah Thompson reported that detectives believe they are really close to solving everything. They just need one little piece. If you have any information on the disappearance of Amber Lynn Wildey, contact the Green Bay Police Department at 920-448-3200. You can also remain anonymous by contacting Crime Stoppers at 920-432-7867. If you don't have any information to give to the Green Bay Police or Crime Stoppers, but you want to help this case out, please share Amber's missing persons flyer. You can find that on our blog, which is linked in our show notes. Be sure to follow us on our socials. You can find us at The Murder Diaries Pod on Instagram, TikTok, and Threads. Until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.